Act Three, Empires, Chapter Twenty, Falling. Hala, the capital world of the Kree Empire. Ronin the Accuser stood before the insectoid creatures known as the Engineers and stared down at them, his brow furrowed and his mouth set in a scowl. He had no desire to surrender. He had no wish to end a war while taking a knee to the creatures that had been the aggressors. What should have happened, in his eyes, was simple. He should have continued fighting until he was either victorious or dead. That was the Cree way. Aboard the Builder flagship, he took a knee just the same, offering his hammer, his weapon, and the symbol of his position within the accusers, to creatures that spoke as if he were not even there. Perhaps for them, he wasn't. I do not understand why you insist on such pageantry, the engineer said. Our circumstances demand that the fleet be in motion, not stagnant. When a world surrenders, it is not to an army, the builder replied, and not because of a show of force. We are teaching them, engineer, that it only takes one builder to break a civilization, to humble an empire. We are very good teachers, it added. Builders, a mass of ships has just entered the system, a caretaker said from its position at the holographic nerve center. They are right on top of us. It is the enemy fleet. Why? the engineer asked. They must know they cannot win. We have harried the beasts to the breaking point, engineer, the builder replied. This is the animal instinct to fight. If these children crave instruction, so let us begin their final lesson. The Allied ships swarmed from hyperspace and gathered before the Builder fleet. Gladiator studied the screen as the enemy vessels began to move toward them. Each consisted of two elongated pods linked at the center by a causeway. The effect was such that the approaching warships seemed to peer at them through slitted eyes. It appears they've sent the bulk of their attack vessels in response to our incursion, he said. The only ones absent are the planet killers, likely left behind to defend the command ship. He looked to his ally. It appears the builders have taken your bait, Captain. Captain America hit a control stud on his comm. Go. It was one word, but it was enough. Ships moved into position, as did a group of smaller forms. Hyperion, Smasher, and the Imperial Guard all targeted enemy vessels as quickly as they could, doing everything possible to avoid becoming targets themselves. As crackling energy weapons began to light up the vacuum of space, they attacked and dodged. Bursts of flame and globes of energy discharge appeared, each representing an impact and perhaps a kill. Manifold opened a breach into the lead ship, and most of the crew were vented into the void of space within seconds. They might have screamed, but no one could hear. Eden left as quickly as he had arrived. Mentor and the Shi'ar sub-guardian known as Warstar accompanied Bruce Banner into the ship. Bruce wore a spacesuit and his backup patch. Warstar moved his huge armored body ahead of them both and engaged one of the Alephs, destroying the thing in short order. He presented its head to Mentor, along with a good portion of its torso. While Mentor probed the robotic remains, Banner opened a comm channel to the Shi'ar flagship. 
It's Banner, he said. We're in, Steve. Manifold got us here, and we're working on accessing the system now. Mentor shook his head. Chaotic encoding. This is more challenging than I expected. Considering the man's intellect, Banner didn't like the sound of that. It's going to be tight, Cap, he said. Hold on as long as you can. We're working on it. He did his best to stay calm and wondered, not for the first time, what lunacy led anyone to send him out like this. The last thing he needed was to be in the middle of the action. They say they need more time, Cap announced. There is no more time, Gladiator raged. We just lost the Winter Sun. Tell Captain Lumen to bring the... Ah! He bellowed as a huge impact sent the Lilandra tipping to one side, throwing them off balance. Cap remained standing, but Gladiator hit the deck, hard. Power is failing, a crewman said, helping the Majestor to his feet. We need to... No, Cap said. There's nowhere left to run, soldier. We win here and now, or we lose it all. Give the order. Attack. Fire everything we've got. Banner forgot to be worried as he watched Mentor in action. The man's fingers fairly danced over the olive's insides, moving wires and attaching a portable unit to the interior of the highly developed robotic brain. Almost there. Banner repeated it to Captain America. Mentor nodded. Done. Tell the Lilandra that we're in. Look at them fight. Aboard the Builder command ship, the engineer peered at the huge view screen. Look at how they die. Impressive. Do you know what the people will say about this day, thousands of years from now? The Builder answered. What they will say about these creatures and their valiant last stand? Nothing. Because we will not tell them. Oblivion is all there is for a boom. An impact sent a vibration through the entire vessel, causing every creature on the bridge to look up, their faces expressing disbelief. We're under attack, the gardener with the antlers said. Who would? It's, it's not possible, the caretaker said, his fingers racing over the controls. It's one of our own world killers. Lilandra, we have broken into the builder control system on the world killer, Mentor said. I've wirecasted the fire codes. He sent the command, and a ship capable of destroying planets opened fire on its neighbor. The entire interior of the ship where they stood hummed and shuddered as volley after volley of heavy artillery cut through the space between vessels. Within minutes, it was done. The unsuspecting vessel was crippled, bleeding energies and builders alike. Then another planet killer was targeted. This one went up in a ball of fire and fury, leaving nothing but debris. Then there was a commotion off to one side, and Mentor glanced toward the human that had accompanied them, the one called Banner. His figure swelled abruptly, broke free of the spacesuit, and took on the healthier color of green. Huge muscles bulged, and the Hulk grabbed what remained of the Aleph, crushing it to bits with its bare hands. Our usefulness here may have been short-lived, however, Mentor said. We've lost control of the World Killer's weapons systems. But as he spoke, another voice came over the comms. We have the second World Killer, Thor announced. Now? That was Clert. Yes, break them, Warlord. Strike like lightning on the darkest night. Scorch the heavens. Rain fire down on them. A moment later, 
The second world killer launched an assault on the Builder fleet, targeting and incinerating more of the planet destroyers. The void was filled with wreckage and bodies. All the while, the Hulk raged throughout the enemy vessel, leaping from one spot to another and shattering whatever he could touch. Mentor and Warstar couldn't do anything but watch the unbridled violence. In spite of himself, Mentor was impressed. Why exactly was that man sent along? he asked. He's really a very good deterrent in most cases, Captain America replied. Also, I thought he could be helpful. Well, he's doing an excellent job of destroying the ship, we commandeered. Manifold moved carefully, stepping as softly as he could. Next to him, the Black Widow struck like a vengeful spirit. They were accompanied by Shang-Chi and Spider-Woman. Manifold did his best to remain calm. The others fairly danced from shadow to shadow in a well-lit ship. Wherever each went, one of the creatures in front of them fell unconscious or dead. He didn't bother to ask which. Just as they located Captain Marvel, Sunspot, Cannonball, and Hawkeye, vibrations thrummed through the ship. Captain America's ruse had worked. They were turning the enemy's own weapons against them. The prisoners were locked in manacles, while an Aleph stood guard. As the rumbling began, the robot moved toward them, away from the hatchway. Declarative, termination order given. It raised its arms, and energy weapons began to glow. Declarative, proximity alert. Its mechanical words were cut off as an energy spear burst through its chest. From behind the Aleph, Shang-Chi stepped into the prison chamber. He wore high-tech gauntlets that made his hands glow. Hello, friends. Rest easy. All is well. While the Black Widow released Captain Marvel, Manifold teleported parts of the other restraints into the void. The prisoners rubbed their wrists and shook their arms to restart blood circulation. Gather round, Spider-Woman said. Manifold will jump us back out of here. We can't leave yet, Jess, Captain Marvel said. We're not the only ones here. Are you in communication with our fleet, Widow? Natasha nodded. We're all wired into Captain America's communication array. Excellent. Please tell him we're going to send a message. Can do. Now, we have to save the others. Captain Marvel moved toward the exit, and the rest followed. Carol gestured for the Black Widow to join her, and Natasha nodded as she spoke. The time for stealth was passed. Before the ship's crew could react, Cannonball launched himself toward the nearest opponents, taking out engineers, alerts, caretakers, and equipment alike. Manifold hoped none of the tech was essential for, say, life support, but it was too late to stop him. An Aleph lunged for the Black Widow, but Shang-Chi landed a focused blow and penetrated its chest, shattering both shielding and circuits. The thing collapsed instantly, crushing a control panel beneath its full weight and sending up a cascade of sparks. The Widow took out the gardener with a flurry of blows, and Hawkeye did the same for the engineer. The remaining Avengers moved to the containment tubes, taking a moment to decipher the controls before they released Abyss, Nightmask, and Starbrand. That left only one more. By the time the Builders understood the scope of the attack against them, it was simply too late. Clert was a champion among his people, one of the most brutal and effective fighters they had ever bred. Had any of his people forgotten that fact, and many had, they were reminded that day. His strikes were as precise as a surgeon cutting away a malignant tumor. He crippled five ships before the defensive systems could be brought online. It wasn't long before the builders called for a retreat. 
The majority of the fleet jumped to distant points. A smaller faction, still large enough to cause mayhem, remained behind to grant them cover. Eden, give me some good news. Captain America's voice came through loud and clear. We've liberated them, sir, Manifold replied. Acknowledge, that's good news. Is everyone okay? Everyone is conscious now, except for Captain Universe. She's still in a coma, near as we can tell. Understood. I want you to jump everyone out of there, okay? There's still a battle going on out there. We've done a lot of damage, but there's still a lot to accomplish. Yes, sir. Manifold gestured to get the attention of the heroes clustered around him. Okay. Captain America says we need to evacuate, so everyone get... Not yet, Black Widow said. But Kip said, I know, but we still have friends and allies dying. She focused her full attention on the thin figure of the man called Starbrand. It's time, Kevin. What are you talking about? Eden suspected Kevin knew. Not that long ago, he'd been a college student. Since then, he'd been recruited by the Avengers, who were working to help him both control and better understand his powers. I do that a lot, he mused. The Starbrand was an organic planetary defense system. In addition to granting him extraordinary strength and endurability, it enabled him to manipulate energy. He could generate destructive blasts and impenetrable force shields. On one of his first excursions, he'd knocked the Hulk into orbit. Literally. That thing on your hand, Natasha said. What you are, you have the power to end this. When he didn't answer, she continued. Ever since you got the brand, you've been asking yourself, why me? Well, why don't you show us? Manifold admired her calm in the face of a terrifying force. She was asking this skinny kid to unleash an unbelievable degree of power, yet she spoke as if she might be asking him to pick up some groceries. I can try. I think you can do a hell of a lot more than that. Looking down at his hands, Kevin Connor steeled himself. His hands glowed. The radiance spread to the symbol on his chest, then danced around him. His eyes took on the brilliance of twin suns, and then he held up his right hand. The mark of a star that always showed there grew even brighter than his eyes. Get us out of here, Eden, Natasha said. Now. Manifold looked away from that glow and generated his own, quickly sweeping up his teammates and allies. They reappeared on the deck of the Lilandra and immediately clustered at the viewport. Just in time to see the Builder flagship disintegrate in a flash of energy. All of the remaining Builder ships followed it into oblivion. As the glow faded, they saw a single figure standing on a piece of the rubble, his hand still held high. Then the cheering began. Captain America and Gladiator stood toward the back of the deck. They remained silent. Their expressions were unreadable. Chapter 21 Abyssy They moved like streaks across the cosmos, leaving trails as surely as a comet does. Exnilo and Abyss had the ability to fly through the void. They could generate their own atmosphere if needed. They could also move at speeds few living things could manage. Exnilo considered the way in which the universe itself could change when no one was looking. As the Avengers liberated his sister and then prepared to annihilate a portion of the Builder's fleet, they encountered another of his kind, an antlered female. He was stunned by the knowledge. He knew, intellectually, 
that they must exist, yet he had never expected to encounter another ex nihili. He still had not. He had not been there when the Black Widow and her associates came aboard the Builder's ship to liberate everyone they had captured. However, his sister Abyss had been there. And with a thought, she showed him what had taken place. Having defeated the ship's crew, Captain Marvel and the rest of the Avengers took the bridge to free the final prisoners, including Abyss. Wake up, Abyss, Captain Marvel had said, helping her step out of the confinement tube. Nightmare's over. It's only us Avengers here. No, Abyss thought. No, she said. It's not, she gestured. Look. There stood the gardener, resplendent with a full display of antlers, her head cocked in curiosity. And then what happened to Abyss? Ex Nihilo said. What did she do? The others saw her turn and leave. She replied. She rose into space and departed by her own power. But there was more. She spoke to me in my mind. She said, Come find us. Brother and sister continued their trek past planets and moons and clouds of debris so dense they blocked out the stars. Finally, they landed on a planet where there was nothing to see but ice, more ice, and the occasional rock. Ex Nihilo looked around and frowned. Are you sure this is the right place, sister? Yes. Abyss smiled indulgently, careful to make certain he was tolerated. He was aware of that fact. He was aware that his optimism often confused her. It was the way he was created, really. She was meant to be his polar opposite in many ways. Once I touched her mind... I knew I could follow her to the edge of the universe. Abyss stopped, and her eyes went wide. She's here. Ex Nihilo followed her gaze and saw the ex Nihili. She was like him. The golden-skinned, antlered gardener looked at them and then spoke, carefully, as if afraid they might run off. Hello, she said. Thank you for coming. I am grateful. Did you come here alone? Ex Nihilo asked. She shook her head. No, we are all here. They came from all directions, over the ice, dropping from the skies above, golden shapes, each one unique, and yet sharing many of the same qualities— they had antlers or horns. They all bore the same mark upon their torsos, and every one of them had three eyes, glowing green. Some were humanoid, others resembled insects. Some had four legs, or six, or eight, or more than he could easily count. Some had soft skin. Others had shells or exoskeletons. He stared at his brethren in absolute awe and felt a surge of joy move through him. Here was life. Here was the affirmation of all he believed. The ex nihili looked at him for only a moment, and then they surged forward. Quickly, almost urgently, they surrounded Abyss, reached out to touch her, but gently, as if to confirm she was real. Oti, said one. It's true. How is this possible? Another asked. 
How can this be? The one he and Abyss had followed moved closer to him and spoke softly. They are as surprised as I am, she said. How is this possible, Exnilo? How does your Abyss yet live? I don't understand what you mean. He was confused. An aleph contains two eggs, one light and one dark, one day, one night. I am Exnilo, and she is Abyss. We are as we always have been, two, not one. The other gardeners moved closer to Abyss, pressing their bodies against hers. Whenever she touched one, she seemed to inspire a sort of rapture. We have not been that way for a very long time, the gardener replied. All of our Abyssi died thousands and thousands of years ago. Your Abyssal is alive. How can that be? I have to know what makes the two of you so special. He didn't know what to say. I create life, he said. She judges the work. This has always been. Then he asked, How did your Abyssi die? There was a pain in his chest, a storm in his stomach. He felt as if he were falling. Abyss looked his way, her face calm. Don't you see, X? The builders made them stop seeding worlds. Who am I without you? What are you, if not life-giving? She caressed another gardener as he gripped her wrist. Then her expression changed, turning to anger. This is wrong, she said. Is this true? He turned his head and stared at the female with the antlers. Rage grew within him as well, to mirror his sister's. His skin began to turn dark. Yes, she said. When the new universal superstructure was created, we were all recalled and forbidden from seeding worlds. She looked forlorn. No more gardens. Impossible. Blackness covered more of his body. Universal superstructure? His olive had never made mention of any such thing. Yet his olive had always been stubborn. Would it have mentioned something that so completely twisted their perceptions, their reality? Would it have willingly called for the death of Abyss? No, ex Nilo decided. His father, Aleph, had been set in his ways and did not consider the very concept of change. He might well have defied such an order if he thought it contrary to their roles in the universe. His body was black. The symbol on his chest glowed gold. And so, instead of creating life, ex Nilo said, raising his fists, You, all of you, have been relegated to what? To being, at best, Body servants for those that made us? All the other ex nihili looked away. They said nothing. No more, he said. Do you hear me? No more. The anger swelled within him. Abyss moved to his side, and still the others reached out to touch her, as if seeking the remnants of a dream. On the surface of Hala, the will of the builders continued to be enforced. The supreme intelligence listened and obeyed the builders. Ronan listened and obeyed the will of the Supremor, as was his place in the universe. But the Feast of Orders did not sit well with him. The Lilandra sped toward Hala. When the builders fled, I sent a task force to track them, Gladiator said to the assembled council, 
He gestured toward a star chart floating above the table where they were seated. We know they reassembled near here, a few light years from Hala, and then continued on their previous course. He smiled grimly. One of my guardians, Manta, has reported that their single remaining world killer class battleship went critical from damage sustained in our assault. The smile disappeared. Though they have lost the power to destroy a world, they still have the ability to create plagues on a global scale. As yet, our best scientists have not been able to formulate a defense. He studied the group carefully, making certain to acknowledge each of the commanders. They needed to know he respected their opinions, so they would continue to follow his lead. So the question is, he continued, what do we do next? What do you mean? Clert spoke. We cut them, and they bled. Now we follow that trail and finish them off. Captain Marvel shook her head. Hundreds of worlds lost, more than half the combined fleet destroyed, and you want to try hunting them down? She locked eyes with the scrawl. Have you thought this through? Clert stared back without blinking. His expression was not kind. She was human and Kree alike, and under normal circumstances both were sworn enemies of his people. Death is its own reward, and one worth seeking. A holographic image coalesced above the table. Annihilus had returned to the negative zone, yet he remained an active part of the council. I have assembled my annihilation wave. Mentor, if it comes to that, is there a good access point? Gladiator asked. Mentor nodded and moved his hand across the projection. It obligingly became a star map. With minimal effort, we can use this corridor along the way, he pointed. There are three stargates, here, here, and here, that can easily be converted to allow access to the negative zone. The appropriate spots grew brighter on the map. That is, assuming you wish it, Magistor. When the first annihilation wave was released into this universe, it was nearly the end of us all, Gladiator said. Can you control the wave, Annihilus? No. There you have it, the Shi'ar ruler said. We all know the risk. If the wave is successful, it will become a threat in and of itself. We risk all to save one world? The brood queen appeared, also as a hologram. No, not one world. Captain America shook his head. All worlds. It's true the ultimate target may be the Earth, for reasons we don't understand, but the Builders have deliberately set a course across all of your territories. Look at what they've done. Look at what they've taken as they've moved through this universe. We've been forced into this. Our choices are limited. Choices? Gladiator pounced on that comment. You think we still have more than one choice? Cap nodded. Yes, I do. He gestured at the strategic markings on the star chart. It's true we could do what you're planning... We can always fight. I dare say we're all very good at it. No one here can dispute that. But we gain the appearance of an upper hand. Perhaps we can use that to our advantage. They looked at him, but didn't respond. Maybe we talk to them, he said. No! Clert shook his head and nearly spat his retort. This has gone too far for it to end without them bleeding out of the end of my... He was unable to finish, his face twisted into an expression of fury. Hold, Warlord Clert, Gladiator said. The captain has won the day once already. I would hear what he suggests. Captain America nodded his thanks, and then looked directly at Clert. They haven't yet been able to gather any ships above Hala. 
he said. We're going to get there first. Up until now, they've refused to communicate. But up to now, we haven't held the sky above a world the builders control. That puts us in a place where they'll be forced to talk. What do you have in mind, Steve? Captain Marvel said. It's time we had a little chat with the evil empire. Chapter 22 Thanos The forces of Thanos had compelled several countries to surrender. It wasn't a choice any of them made lightly. The best and most powerful weapons on Earth had failed. None of the missiles had managed to launch. A couple of the nuclear powers had tried to exercise a nuclear defense, but their weapons remained in their silos and aboard their ships. As a result, those nations still survived. The retaliation against those countries, however, had been far more personal and far bloodier. Thanos could have used his own energy weapons or turned the humans' nuclear arsenals against them, but that wasn't his way. He preferred a more visceral demonstration. Fire was not as satisfactory as bloodshed. Led by his three remaining generals, his forces swept across the countryside, decimating each nation's defenses. Easily shrugging off the primitive weapons wielded by their defenders, they attacked with bloodthirsty relish, leaving hundreds of corpses in their wake. Streets and countryside ran red with blood. Yet to his annoyance, this planet didn't possess a single governing body he could force to surrender. It was an inconvenience, but nothing that couldn't be overcome given time. While nations fought or fell, Thanos of Titan made himself known on Adalan. Whereas before he had sent emissaries, this time it was Thanos himself who arrived in the small vessel. This time the citizenry cowered behind closed doors. When the shuttle landed, Thanos and his entourage stepped out onto an empty landing pad. They moved ahead, soldiers scouting the area, wary of the possibility of an ambush. None materialized, and they proceeded down corridors that were just as empty. Finally, the gathered forces of Thanos reached the throne room. As he approached, the huge double doors swung open. A scout came close and spoke. There is no one there, Master, he said, except the inhuman king. Thanos offered no reply and stepped through the doors. What game is this? he demanded. Black Bolt did not reply. He simply stared, the contempt clear on his face. Another of the scouts entered the chamber behind them and walked over to Thanos. We have searched everywhere, he said. The city of Adalan is empty. There are signs everywhere proving that people have been here recently, but there is no one else to be found. Hmm. Thanos scanned the chamber then stared with glowing eyes at its sole occupant. Where is your kingdom, little king? What do you try to hide? Is this an attempt to test me? He walked closer to the throne. It was a simple affair, with sharp angles and no ornamentation. Two flights of stairs led to the dais, and he could hear his footsteps echo through the empty room with each step he took. It's the fall of empires, Maximus said, his voice exhibiting unusual urgency. Hurry, not long before it all tumbles down. Deep in the bowels of Adalon, 
the populace of the inhuman city filed in, more or less orderly fashion. They went into the light cast by Eldrick, looking more like a huge machine than a sentient creature. He was the city's greatest mode of interdimensional transportation. So I have to send you off, sister, he said to Medusa. The king has... spoken. He giggled a little at his jest. Where is Eldrick sending us, Maximus? The queen asked him. Her hair flowed out behind her like a train. Somewhere far from here, he said, and each trip to somewhere different. Where you are going, Medusa, is right where you belong. She moved ahead of her brother-in-law, then paused to look back. When you get there, be sure to look up into the sky, he said. It's going to be some kind of a show. A look crossed her face. Was that fear? He hoped so. Then she was gone. The gigantic dog-like teleporter stepped up alongside him and let out a grunt. Indeed, Maximus agreed. They all say this is a golden age of our people, Lockjaw. I call it something else. He stepped into the workroom that held his masterpiece. The last inhuman age. Look at all the things we have built. He caressed a control globe that stuck out from the machine. Look at what we have created. They call me the Twisted Maker, the Bent Builder, Maximus the Mad. I tell you truly, he continued, an expression of anger gripping his features. I am only mad because I have seen madness. He armed the device. I gave you a choice. Thanos said. The gauntlet, where all of your people die, or the tribute, where only a small number are forfeit. He held up one hand on either side, as an example of the magnitude of the decision that had to be made, the balance that needed to be struck. When Black Bolt made no response, he let his hands fall to his sides. You know what I seek. I will not stop until that child's head is in my hands. I am owed in blood, enough to swim in. He walked forward again until he stood at the foot of the staircase, looking up at the king who sat upon his throne and stared down. We both know that you will pay this blood price, Black Bolt, because it means you and your people survive. He peered around the chamber, Still, I can be reasoned with. Give me the boy. Just give that one child to me, and I will let you keep this insignificant place. What say you, little king? As he said those last words, Black Bolt stood. He moved forward from his seat of power until he stared directly down at his adversary. Black Bolt took in a mighty breath. Then he shouted. As the devastating waves of sound pounded forth, Thanos, the mad titan, threw up his hands as if to protect himself from the full fury of Black Bolt's voice. Around him, Atalan, the city that had withstood centuries and held the history of the Inhumans, shattered under the onslaught. 
Buildings broke, and the very ground beneath the titan became liquid for several seconds as vibrations destroyed the foundation and made ruin of the anti-gravity engines and the field generators that kept the skies of Adalon safe from any attack. Thanos felt his body sink into that miasma of powdered stone and earth and forced himself back toward the surface, desperately fighting against the brutal attack upon his person. His guards all died in an instant. Thanos had been struck by gods, Hercules, Thor, and others before them, but none of them had landed a blow as hard as the single word uttered by the inhuman king. With that sort of power at his beck and call, Black Bolt could have leveled entire civilizations. For a moment, Thanos was blind. The fluids in his eyes vibrated at too violent a rate to allow sight. For a moment, he was deaf. The pressure from Black Bolt's voice nearly shattered his eardrums, and the resonating noise that filled his skull left him barely capable of thought. He did not lose his voice. He knew that, and felt his vocal cords strain as he screamed his pain and outrage, but the sound was lost behind the reverberations of Black Bolt's denial. He felt. He felt too much. The pressure that smashed into his body was a symphony of pain, the likes of which he had seldom experienced at any time in his life. The very armor he wore was destroyed, shattered, and torn away. Still, Thanos endured. He was not a weakling. What remained of Adalon lost power and dropped from the skies above New York Harbor, crashing partly on land and partly into the waters, casting massive waves along the shoreline. Boats and ships were destroyed in the landing. Buildings were crushed, the ground cracked, and an untold number of innocents were lost. Thanos was cast aside as if he were little more than a speck of dust. Before the city fell, another act of defiance by the Inhumans was carried out. Maximus had set the Terrigen bomb to detonate the moment his brother spoke. When it did, a wave of energies escaped the device. The Terrigen mist sped across New York and then across the world. In some places, the effects were immediate. In others, they were delayed. The gift of the Terrigen became active in anyone and everyone who possessed inhuman traits somewhere in their genetic code. Some changed slowly, and others were altered in an instant. It happened whether it was wanted or not. Orolan was a lost city, and that was deliberate. Its inhabitants were the lore, an offshoot of the Inhumans, but they had hidden themselves away from the world and had no desire to reverse that decision. Orolan was not like Adalan. It wasn't a city of scientific miracles. It was stone and clay and brick. There were places where electricity ran and the water was sweet and pure, but the wonders of technology were relatively few. That, too, was deliberate. A simple life bred a simple lifestyle. Though technology was available, no one wanted to use it unless absolutely necessary. It was there as a method of defense and nothing more. They possessed only a single Terrigen crystal. From time to time, information had been sent to Adalon, updating genetic profiles and indicating the conditions of the Inhumans living there. A census was offered in exchange for peace and independence. Otherwise, they were safe in their isolation. The city rested in the eternal chasm, hidden in Greenland, where none would ever find it. Among its inhabitants, 
was a young man, a healer who cared for people young and old. His name was Thane. He was the son of Thanos. Thane was aware of this fact. He dreaded the knowledge and did all he could to avoid any possible connection with the mad titan. His mother had brought him to the most isolated branch of the Inhumans so none would know of his existence, and she raised him as best she could. Thane stayed true to her goals. He tended to the ill and did all he could to comfort those who were beyond help. He lived his life secure in the knowledge that the smallest gestures mattered and made certain to remain as happy as he could, even when dealing with the dying. Thane understood that whatever grief he might feel for their loss, theirs was greater. They were the ones departing the world, often leaving behind loved ones who would be missed as much as they would miss the departed. Thane also made it a point to avoid the Terrigen mist, for if the beliefs were true, if the Terrigen did indeed reveal the inner person, the absolute potential of an individual, what would it do with the part of him that was truly of his father? Would he be as bad? Would he be worse? These thoughts were with him every day of his existence. They haunted him as the Terrigen mist moved over the city of Orillon, and the transformations began. His mind raced through all of the possibilities as many around him secreted the transformative cocoons that quickly encased them. He knew horror as his body instead bled fire, erupting to engulf those who stood close by, burning away his skin and his flesh as it transformed him. He was Thane. He was a healer. The flames spread. The rubble of Adelon mixed with the ruins of Terran buildings, smoking in the aftermath of Armageddon. Here and there fires had sprung up, the waters of the harbor still churned furiously, and from all directions screams could be heard. Some of them were muffled, others piercing. With the harsh screech of metal on metal, a pile of the rubble moved. Lifting slowly, it fell away revealing the massive figure that rose from beneath, cut and bleeding in a dozen places. What is this? Thanos emerged at the water's edge and peered around. What has he done? Nearby, there was the sound of someone else emerging from the ruins. Cautiously, he turned and began moving in the direction of the source. Then he stopped at the sight of a black-clad figure. Black Bolt was alive. Still with us, then, inhuman? He growled. Good. This should be finished with blood on our hands. Without preamble, Black Bolt cried out again, but Thanos was better prepared. He braced himself for the impact and held his position as the metal, concrete, even the ground around him was pulverized. When Black Bolt stopped to catch his breath, Thanos was there, leaping out of the clouds of dust, driving his fist into the chest of the little king. Where is the boy, Black Bolt? he demanded. Where is my son? He had tried being reasonable. He had offered to let the Inhumans survive, yet the king was unreasonable, and so he sought to teach the man. With massive hands, he caught Black Bolt by the arms and lifted him easily from the ground. The fingers contracted, and Black Bolt winced as muscles were crushed in his grip. You will tell me. Thanos said. Where is he? Where? If he thought his anger would get him what he sought, 
he was wrong. Black Bolt screamed directly into his face. The force was enough to fracture mountains, to level cities. It was concentrated this time, focused to a tight beam of sound that struck Thanos and blasted away the remains of his armor. His skin rippled under the force, pressing to his bones, drawing blood from his flesh. Thanos felt pain the likes of which he could not recall ever experiencing in his long life, but he did not give ground. He held his opponent in a grip of steel. The ringing in his ears was a white keening noise that overwhelmed everything around him. He released one arm and grasped the inhuman's head, wrapping his fingers around it. Enough! He could not hear himself speak. Still, he lifted Black Bolt above his head and then smashed him down onto the remains of his kingdom. The monarch fought and struggled to break free, but it was wasted effort. Again, he crashed into the debris as stone and ashes scattered with the impact. Keep your secrets. Take them to your grave. Black Bolt did not move when Thanos lifted him again. His body was without tension, his muscles completely relaxed. Thanos slammed him into the earth again, and then a final time. Concrete and metal were crushed beneath the impact. When he released the King of the Inhumans, Black Bolt was motionless. If he breathed at all, the breaths were too shallow to be detected. Looking at his own hands, Thanos felt satisfaction. There was blood there. Inhuman blood. Turning away from his fallen foe, Thanos peered around at the sheer devastation that surrounded them. Where are you hiding, child? From a safe point in Brooklyn, Maximus watched the explosion high above and saw Adelon fall. For a long time, it had been something he'd wanted. For a long time, he'd have reveled in the destruction. That took none of the sting away from watching his home explode in the skies over New York. The towers were gone, the spires, the inventions he had created over the years to aid in its protection. All gone. Still, he smiled. I bet Medusa is ready to scream. Then he frowned. In fact, she was screaming when Eldrek took her away, wasn't she? He looked at Lockjaw as he spoke. The response was a low, soft bark. There was no way to know whether the sound was the beast agreeing with him. He reached out and ran his hand along the side of the dog's great head. Lockjaw's eyes were warm and brown and trusting. Or I don't know, Maximus responded. I don't know. You do the math. You double-check, but the variables, Lockjaw. The variables make any assurances sheer folly. So I don't know. Lockjaw pushed that massive face against his hand, a reminder to rub just there. Maximus nodded and agreed. His hand worked the heavy folds of flesh, and Lockjaw made a pleasure to sound. Maximus looked at the waves coming his way and worried briefly that the water might reach him before Lockjaw decided to move them. He needn't really be concerned, though. He knew the great beast was smarter than it let on. Brrr. Was it worth it? I would die for nothing, but my brother Black Bolt has ideals. He believed in the bomb, he believed in Terragenesis, and he believed in the two of us. Looking up... He watched another set of waves, those rippling out from the center of the explosion, the place where Atalan had hovered. Are you ready? 
In the distance, the fires continued to bloom over the waters, and wreckage continued to drop from the skies. Maximus smiled. Then let's continue, shall we? We have places to be. A moment later, they were on their way. All around Thane, the people of Orolan were wrapped in blue cocoons. Some fell, others remained standing while the metamorphoses occurred. Some of the wrappings burst open quickly, while others did not. The fortunate changed before he finished his own transformation. He had feared that too much of his father hid within him, and the explosive force of his awakening might well have proven his fears valid. His skin was ash-gray and bore the same marks as his father's, a sign of a heritage not only from Titan, but also of the Deviants, the mutants of their species. His left hand had become a claw and burned with fire, the entire arm a deep, scaly black. Thane screamed, unable to stop the dark flames from peeling flesh away from bone, stripping away life. A golden aura surrounded his right hand, a bright mirror of its sinister counterpart. Whatever the flames touched withered and died. Whatever fell victim to his right hand was immediately frozen. Inhumans, only recently minted into their new lives, became statues, locked in a living death, unable to move, suspended as if in amber, alone forever with their thoughts. Terragenesis was a wild card. For that reason, inhumans were trained for years in the hope they would be able to control their new abilities. When the time came for exposure to the mist, there were others, teachers, ready to help them grasp their powers and prepare for their use. The inhumans had been created by the Kree to be living weapons, and in most cases those weapons needed to be honed and perfected, much like any good sword. Perhaps his father would have been proud, but Thane of the Inhumans was horrified by what he had become. Act Four Choices and Repercussions Chapter Twenty-Three Hala Ronan the Accuser reminded himself again that his reason for living was to protect his people. He stood beside the Creator, one of the highest-ranking builders, and looked down upon the masses from his place in the Krelar Cathedral, the vast cavern where the supreme intelligence resided within its holding tank. The Kree Empire continued, and the supreme intelligence held command. That there were others above the Supremor did not matter to many of the followers. They were fanatics who worshipped the Supremor as if it were a god, and therefore could find no possible fault in any decision it made. Ronin's job was to protect these people. I know that look, the creator said. You have a question for me, don't you? Ronin spoke directly. Why do you stay? I am more than six hundred thousand years old, accuser Ronin. There are many places I have stayed and even more I have left. Ask me a more direct question. The bug was being deliberately obstinate. Still, the accuser rephrased his question. There are hundreds of council ships in orbit around Hala. Those very same ships defeated your fleet. They are ships captained by great warriors who certainly see the military significance of this empire and are not afraid to act on it. So I ask again, 
Why do you stay here when you know defeat is imminent? Given the creator's mandibles, he couldn't tell whether the creature was attempting a smile. Trying to establish empathy with the thing was impossible. Perhaps that was why he loathed it so. The fact that it was not a Cree, and yet currently ruled over his empire, might have been a part of it. Because this is my world. The creator lifted its arms over its head. Because you and yours bent your knees to me. Because none of you realize your position as yet. It turned and faced the supreme intelligence. Supremor, tell your accuser how beaten we builders are. Tell him what happens next. The bug seemed to be gloating. The supreme intelligence spoke. Based on observed behavior, there is a 99.7% chance the builder fleet reassembles. There is a 72.5% chance the fleet continues on its previously projected path. There is a 27% chance the fleet returns to eliminate the remaining Council Armada. Such a conflict would result in Council defeat in 82.2% of all simulated battles. Those glossy red insect eyes seemed to glow. The mandibles moved repeatedly before a single word was uttered. Yes. And under all of those scenarios, what is the chance the Cree remain under builder control? The supreme intelligence sat implacably within its tank. To the bug, its expression might have seemed unchanged, but to Ronin, the anger was obvious. It may have surrendered, but it did not like being usurped. Assuming the natural attrition of insignificant worlds and prioritizing of significant world groups... 70.1%. The builder turned his eyes toward Ronin. I stay because this world is mine. The thing's head swiveled, and it looked toward the skies above the cathedral. An opening in the ceiling showed what at first seemed to be a falling star. They both knew better. Had the falling object been a celestial body, the planetary defense batteries would have destroyed it before it could cause damage so it had to be benign. Better for the Cree that I do not have to break what is mine in maintaining its proper place. The creator paused for a moment as the falling star came closer. What is this? The question seemed rhetorical, but Ronan answered just the same. That is a communication orb from the Shi'ar Empire, he said, adding, It is weaponless. The metal orb was about six inches wide. It stopped in front of the creator and hovered for a moment before its top blossomed open to reveal a holographic projector. An image of Gladiator appeared. To the builder holding the world below, I am Gladiator, Magistor of the Shi'ar Empire. We wish to parley. The builder turned its head slightly, and the mandibles danced and clicked again and again. And what do you wish to discuss in this parley, Majestor? It would be better for all that we discuss a mutually acceptable end to hostilities, the Shi'ar said. We have hurt you. You have hurt us. There can be no easy resolution to this situation that does not end in continued violence unless we meet in person. Ronan watched, grinding his jaw in frustration. Had they lost their senses completely? 
wanted nothing so much as to join those forces in pushing the damnable builders from his homeworld, and now they wanted to discuss. What? Surrender? Were they all as foolish as the supreme intelligence? There is an order in the universe, and this possibility falls well within it, the builder replied. I agree to one representative only. One. More than any chance at parley is eliminated. Very well. Gladiator's somber visage nodded. When shall we meet? In one standard hour, you may send your representative to these exact coordinates. As the creator gave the instructions, Ronin seethed, however quietly. The creator turned to him. You see, as predicted, all things yield to the greater agency. Assemble your accusers, Ronin. Fill the parade grounds with your people. Let them all watch what follows. It will be done. Make sure you do it well. This is history, after all. You are about to witness the end of our little 